Okay, so today we're continuing uh, on a sermon that I started last week. And so we're in a three-week series. That's why we're doing this. The three-week series is a family series. But we are also, uh, last week I didn't, I, I, I planned on not getting done. Uh, I had too much, and so last week was part one. This week is part two, and we're asking the question, how do you impact the next generation with the limited amount of time that we have? And so... Uh, uh, I'm going to give a little short review early on of what we covered last week. Hopefully, for those of you who missed, you, it'll whet your appetite if you didn't see the podcast that you'll go and you'll watch the podcast online. Uh, next week, we go back to our series, Working Our Way Through the New Testament. We pick up in the Gospels where Jesus is uh, just celebrated the Last Supper and he's going to be going with his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to be arrested. So that's, that's where we j- rejoin the story. Now, even though it's a family series, we've made this point every week, I just want to make it one last time. This is for everyone, because this is about having a lasting impact on the next generation. And it doesn't matter where you are, there's always someone, kind of maybe not an entire generation away from you, but there's always someone you can speak into. So this speaks, this speaks to youth, this speaks to upper elementary students. Uh, this certainly speaks to uncles and aunts and grandmas and grandpas, absolutely for parents, but for teachers as well. Uh, small group leaders of our, within our youth ministry, this, this speaks to you. How to be a good mentor, how to be a good neighbor to families around you. So how do you make a difference in someone's life with the limited amount of time that we have? Well, the scriptures speak to it in Psalm 90 when it says, you want to have an impact, you want to make your life have an impact, then number your days. And numbering days means... Uh, recognize the brevity of life and think of your life in terms of eternity. God is an eternal timeline. We're on an eternal timeline with God. And we ought to be thinking about now in light of eternity. So teach us to realize how short life is so that we can live smarter, we can live better lives, and that includes influencing others for Christ. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm, chap- uh, Psalm 90, chapter 90. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You can grab one of those. If you're using a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. And if you're brand new with us, uh, hopefully you picked up a new here brochure on the way in or it was given to you. And inside there is a sermon application guide. And so a lot of the big ideas from the sermon are in here as well as some family discussion questions. Normally, our kids and, I, and we are on the same page. We're studying the same passage. We begin that again next week. Uh, but these, these questions have to do with the sermon, so you might have to do a little explaining, but uh, most of the questions are self-explanatory. And then there's personal reflection questions, because this is about bringing the story of God to life, not just about getting some information here, leaving, and not impacting who we are and what we do. So last week, we looked at the entire psalm, and we looked in detail uh, at the entire psalm. And when you look at the entire psalm of verse 12, where it says, number your days. In fact, why don't you look at verse 12 for a moment. It says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the context of Psalm 90, it is talking about eternity. It's talking about leveraging the short life we have now for the sake of eternity. And later in that psalm, it talks about passing on to the next generation a sense of the splendor and glory of God. So all of that comes together 
to answer the question, how do we impact the next generation with the limited amount of time that we have? And last week we looked at one point. I'm going to go back to that one, give you one more illustration of it, and then we'll move on to the other two. So the first way is to think infinite over finite. To think infinite over finite. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom is saying, teach us to understand our limited days in light of the eternal timeline of God. And that's really hard to do, but it's essential. If we're going to pass on our faith, if we're even going to get our faith, we have to have that eternal timeline in mind and our eternal God in mind. So last week, to kind of pull together some of the things that we talked about, it's basically this. Thinking infinite gives us needed perspective for meeting the daily challenges, difficulties, even the opportunities of life as we're seeking to influence kids. And it puts the emphasis on the journey, the journey of life, rather than just the destination. God puts the emphasis on our journey. It's on the journey that things happen. I'm going to drive that home today. Uh, But last week I gave an illustration about how sometimes we get bent out of shape when something goes wrong, a bad grade, you know, some misbehavior, that sort of thing. And we're like, we're, we're so caught up in the moment that we forget that this is about something that's eternal. We're like billionaires who are getting all bent out of shape over some uh, loose change that we've misplaced somewhere. That we, when we have that eternal perspective, it begins to help us put everything that we're f- facing on a daily basis into perspective. Not that it's important, not that it's just loose change, but it's something that builds towards the future and we're on this journey and it's not like we gotta win every day with our kids. Every day we gotta win every single battle. We gotta, we gotta make it into a battle. It's saying think about that journey and think about shaping the next generation. So I wanna offer another illustration. Uh, so Simon Sinek, you may have heard of Simon Sinek, he, uh, he has the third most watched TED Talk of all time, and it's on uh, starting with the why. It's, it's about how do you motivate people? Well, you got to start with why you want someone to do something. How do you motivate yourself? You start with the why of why you need to do something, and when you get the why, then you're, you're more motivated to accomplish uh, whatever that is. Well, lately he's been talking about having an infinite mindset versus having a finite mindset. Now, when he talks about infinite mindset, I just want to be sure you understand this. He does not mean infinite mindset like we as believers from a biblical perspective speak of infinite. Uh, What he means, I'm not going to try to describe to you because you don't need that in order to understand the illustration that he's trying to make and the illustration that I'm trying to make. So here's how he illustrates it. He takes something from the business world. He contrasts Apple Corporation with Microsoft. And he explains that he has been invited to uh, education conferences where they're talking about how their products are being used for education. Um, and they're mostly interior, uh, you know, the organization's education conference. He's been invited to come and speak to the education conferences at both Microsoft and Apple. He says at Microsoft, they spend 70% of the time talking about, in his estimation, 70% of the time talking about how to beat Apple. But he says when you go to Apple, they spend 100% of the time, in his estimation, talking about how to help teachers and help kids learn. And he says the reason is, is this finite versus infinite perspective. Um, I don't think, by the way, uh, he's been giving this talk for about a year and a book is coming out soon that's going to have this illustration. I don't think he's going to be invited to Microsoft anymore to speak at anything. But he says the difference is that Microsoft has a finite mindset. This is his opinion, okay? He says they have a finite mindset and Apple has an infinite mindset. In a finite mindset, it, there's always winners and losers. It's like you gotta win, there's gonna be a scoreboard with points up there, it's winners and losers, but with an infinite mindset, 
Uh, you're not playing to win. It's about constant improvement. It's about being on a journey, staying in the journey, and the journey being a lifetime sort of thing, where you're, you're constantly improving rather than trying to win every single battle. And he illustrates this with a story about being at a conference years ago, a Microsoft conference, or at Apple conference, and he had been at a Microsoft conference where they had given them their new MP3 players, player, and it was called the Zune. Anybody remember the Zune? All right. So he was given a Zune by Microsoft. Now he's at an Apple conference. He's in a taxi, sharing a taxi with, with an Apple executive. He said one of the top Apple executives. And he decides, ah, you know, I like to stir the pot. So he pulls out his Zune. And he shows it to the Apple executive. And he says, this thing is a lot easier to use than your iPod. And the Apple executive goes, no doubt. And he said, no defensiveness? No arguing, no anything. It was like, yeah, okay, they made a better product. Now, again, from Simon Sinek's perspective, it's because Apple's on an infinite journey. It's inconsequential, almost inconsequential, what, what Microsoft is doing, except insofar that they might learn something to make their products better. But it's not about beating Microsoft. And in their mindset, yeah, at any given time, Samsung, um, Microsoft, Google is going to have a better product, he says, than Apple. But they're not in a battle. They don't see it as a battle. They don't see it as a war. They see it as something they just want to stay in, and they want to do well, and they want to help people learn. Again, that's his perspective. Whether he's right or wrong is not really the point that I'm trying to make here. The point that I'm trying to make is that thinking infinite is about a journey. And it really, I mean, that's a scriptural perspective. We're on a journey, it's an eternal journey, and this life is, is a journey of life. And a lot of times when we think only about winning and losing, we really lose sight of what God is doing and how he's developing us in the difficulties and the hard times of life. That's why we so often turn against God when we're having difficulties, because we feel like we're losing. Instead of asking God, okay, right now, right in this, how do you want to work in me and through me to others to make a difference in their life. Now, do you see how this can impact influencing the next generation? I mean, it impacts all of life. But do you see how this can impact the next generation? It's like the comparisons that we do a lot of times with our own kids versus other kids. Where our kids are compared to other kids, that kind of a thing. Or when we get embarrassed because our kid maybe embarrassed us because their behavior is something that, you know, uh, they're, they're having a hard time and they're going through a difficult phase in their life. I mean, you can go on and on. I'm sure you already have had thoughts of how this applies to you as a parent or as an influencer of the next generation. So there's a guy named Todd Atkins who uh, does a uh, leadership podcast, and he's a follower of Jesus, and he had interviewed Simon Sinek. And when he was done interviewing Simon Sinek, he said, you know, Simon Sinek does not profess to be a follower of Jesus. But he has deeply impacted how I look at my faith and how I look at my life. And the haunting question that he has, he says, if I'm on an infinite journey, if I have, you know, if, if God is at work and, and, I'm, and my life is eternal, why is it when I come to the end of the day, why is it that as I evaluate my day, I evaluate it on finite grounds instead of infinite grounds? Just think of that, that self-talk that we go through, where we're 
evaluating our days, every conversation, everything, the losses along the day, instead of looking at it in a finite way, how God is wanting to work in and through us in the midst of the losses and everything that hits us. So, to impact the next generation, we need to um, recognize our limited time on a finite time scale and so that we can make the best of it. Secondly, pursue God's wisdom in the community of faith. Again, look at verse 12 and notice, we talked about this last week, this is a whole lament psalm and there are personal lament psalms and there are corporate lament psalms. And this is a corporate lament psalm, meaning the congregation is bringing lament before God. Now this verse is not a lament, but it's in, in the midst of a lot of complaining and crying out to God and saying, God, you know, how long are you going to make us suffer and, and all of that, which is what a lament psalm is about. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us. This happens in community. Now, this whole idea of number your days, recognize how short life is in order to have an, an impact, a greater impact, a better life, is almost incomprehensible to most of the people that we live around who are not followers of Christ, who don't have a perspective of the story of God. It's almost incomprehensible. It's almost incomprehensible to a lot of us because we drink the same water, we, we, we breathe the same air. When we don't reflect on our life as followers of Jesus in the midst of a culture that is not following Jesus, after a while we just begin to more and more think like everyone else and we miss some of the greatest joys and some of the most impactful, some of the most impactful things that we need to know that God is telling us. Why is it incomprehensible? Well, because to say that my life is short, I have to have the conviction to say that I'm going to learn more by leveraging the few days I have for eternity. I have to have the conviction that eternity is real. Because if eternity is not real, the last thing I want to think about is what? Death. <laughs> How short life is, right? I don't want to think about death. Nobody wants to think about death and how short life is when this is all there is. But as believers, we're called to, we're encouraged, we're even commanded to think about the shortness of this life so that we can not only live the life God calls us to live, but also live it with joy and vigor and meaning and purpose. We're not able to do that when we just think like everybody else, when our focus is now and winning now instead of looking at that journey that God has us on. All right. But it says us, that this happens, this happens together. How important is it for us to gather together like we're gathering together today? How important is this in our lives? Now, what I'm about to say is something that we, we live in a day and we live in a community right here. I mean, we're the cities around us, most of you. We have unbelievable freedom to travel, to be gone, and we all are. On average, a member, not just a regular a member of Five Oaks attends something like 1.7 times a month. That's us. Uh, we have sports. We, 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 you know, it used to be that Sundays were kept free of sports. The sports take over the entire weekend, the whole thing. Okay, so we've got to be thinking about how can we 
If we're going to miss because we're going to see our grandchildren or we're going to go on vacation or my job takes me away, and these are things that are really important things, right? It's not, I'm not saying, like, stop traveling. Don't go see your grandchildren. I'm not, you know, don't put your kids in sports. What I'm saying is we've got to really think as followers of Jesus, how can we gather so we can learn the heart of wisdom together because we need each other. And so why do we need each other? This is what uh, Mike Cosper says in a book on worship called The Rhythms of Grace. He says, believers were encouraged, even commanded to think about the, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's me. That was me. I was quoting myself. (laughs) Wrong page. I'm thinking, Mike Cosper, he sounds so smart. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, This is what he says. We're profoundly forgetful creatures, and the consequences of forgetting our God are frightening. Adam and Eve forgot God's word in the garden, and the devil, the world's first heretic, twisted their judgment and led them down a path toward death. Ever since, the authors of scripture have been crying out warnings to us to remember, to guard our hearts, and to protect ourselves from forgetting. And so he lists some of these, I'll put them up on the screen. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and, made, and, and then you go and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Deuteronomy 6, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Second Kings, you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. Psalm 9, the wicked return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. We forget. We're forgetful creatures. We need to remember. We need to remember what God, um, who we are and who God is and what this world is and what this life is and how short life is. He, uh, he continues, he says, um, we continue to gather together as believers in light of this profound weakness that we forget. Like the children of Neverland, we're forgetful or prone to wander as The old hymn says, worship scattered, which is what we do when we leave here. We continue worshiping. Our entire life is for the glory of God. Worship scattered happens in the midst of a not yet restored world. The story of God is about moving towards a new creation. Where those around us have long forgotten their maker, their idolatry, their love of money, fame, glamour, Their idolatry is like the pagan Asheroth totems that dotted the landscape around Israel. We, like them, are quick to forget God and quick to install the totem in our living rooms, revolving our lives around it. Our only hope is to remember the gospel, remembering who we are and whose we are as we rehearse the story of redemption that calls us out of the wilderness and back to the garden. And it's not just the preaching of the word when we gather. Our entire service is rehearsing the story of redemption. That's why we have four movements. It's rehearsing the story of redemption. We need every reminder possible to remember who we are and whose we are and, and what life is about and what meaning is and where purpose is found and what we've been made for. So Cosper uh, has a, a way of talking about worship that I think is really, really helpful. And I want to show it to you because there's a couple of things in this. He talks about worship one, two, three. And we've been doing something as we've been going through the series, we've been kind of showing you some tools. 
The whole idea behind a tool, I'm going to show you a tool in a moment here. The whole idea behind a tool is it helps us understand a biblical concept and remember it and then apply it. And then it helps us to teach other people. So this is, this is like uh, another way of talking about it. It's like napkin theology where you just can draw something for someone to help understand a biblical concept. This is something that we can teach to our kids. Uh, this one I'm about to show you, um, I don't know. You can test it with... Uh, I mean, the test should be about an educated 13-year-old, all right? Um, so you can test it with your own kids, see if it's too complicated or not. And let me know, because we'll make it simpler if necessary. But this is called Worship 123 by Mike Cosper in his book. And it's a great way of thinking about our worship. So Worship 123 is we worship one object, and that's God. But we worship in two contexts, really important to remember. We worship gathered when we gather like this, or we gather in a small group. We worship gathered, but we also worship scattered because our lives are not like two different ways. You know, I go on my job, my school, whatever it is that I go to, I'm not a worshiper there. There I'm, you know, whatever I need to be to succeed. No. The Bible says we worship, we bring glory to God in everything that we do. And so doing our homework is a way of bringing glory to God if we do it as unto him. Doing our job well, even when we play. Uh, when we're just having fun, we're just recreating, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're to do it to the glory of God. So worship gather, gathered and scattered. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to show you this here. Because when it says teach us, um, we need the gathered so that we are, it, it, it plays into the time where we're scattered. Without the gathered, we lose vision. Uh, we lose sight of what it is that God is has made us for it's when we gather that we remember we remember we remember now it doesn't mean that you know then it's just we go on that fuel all week all week we're worshiping God and part of that means we're stopping and we're praying throughout the week and throughout the day and we're bringing scripture into our lives so worship scattered also brings speaks into worship scattered if if this is your fuel your only fuel and so you come on Sunday and uh, hour and 10 minutes, uh, hour and 15 when we go late, uh, that's, what you, that's what you get. That's the extent of what you get. It'll take you about an hour and five minutes to just get to the point where all of a sudden you're maybe, it's kind of like going on vacation and it takes you three or four days to kind of relax. If this, is, if this is it for you, you're probably not getting anything out of it until maybe it's time to leave. But when you come in, being fueled throughout the week, you can hit the ground running, which then can help you hit the week running. And so we worship gathered and scattered. That's the us. Teach us. We need to do that. The three audiences is something that people oftentimes miss. So when we worship, we have three audiences. So these, these lit light bulbs down here are two believers. And one of our audiences of worship is God. And so like when we sing songs, some of the songs are like directly to God. And we're singing praise right directly to him and thanking him and speaking about his glory. But the scripture says we should be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. To one another. Why? Because we need to remember. And so a lot of the songs we sing are songs where we're singing about God to one another. Now, God is still one of the audiences, but we're reminding each other of who this God is. Now, the unlit light bulbs, we're just using the light as, as a... Um, as an image that the scripture gives of the light of Christ in our lives, the unlit light bulbs are people who are not yet followers of Jesus. 
And the scriptures, we ought to have them in mind when we gather. It's not that we're worshiping, that we only do what they can do. It's not that. But that we have them in mind that it should be comprehensible. We should be helping them take steps to come to know Jesus. And some of you are there. And hopefully you're here. You're not like lost in the middle of everything we're doing because we're we're explaining things in a way that everybody can understand it, and we're moving along together. So those are the three audiences of worship. Again, I want to point out, teach us, we're speaking to each other when we gather. And certainly we're getting together in our small groups, and we're opening our Bibles, and we're studying the passage, and, and we're uh, applying what we're learning from that passage with each other, talking about that. That, of course, is that one another stuff that, that we need. Okay. Thirdly, this is the last one, make the most of the time you have. How are we going to influence with the limited time? Make the most amount of the time we have by grasping the unique opportunities of the moment. So last week, if you were here, your kids went home with a phase card. This is the fourth grade phase card. Um, if you weren't here and you haven't gotten one yet, go out to the Family Resource Center and starts with like zero to one, you know, goes from zero all the way through senior year. And there is some invaluable information here that um, great stuff that can change um, how you parent and how you lead and how you influence. Uh, You could be a high schooler and maybe you're helping uh, a middle schooler along or you're teaching children on Sunday morning or you're leading worship at youth group. You could be a high schooler and it might be good to pick one of these up about the people that you're influencing. Um, so, uh, uh, last, last week we looked at those face cards. The psalmist says, teach us to remember our, uh, to number our days with this infinite mindset means think about everyday life. Think about everyday life, making the most of every opportunity. That's absolutely crucial. When our kids were in junior high, Lois and my uh, kids, uh, we, and it was called junior high back then, um, they, uh, a friend of ours recommended a book to us that was a game changer, a uh, book by Paul, by Paul David Tripp called The Age of Opportunity, and the subtitle was A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Uh, I'm going to read an extended uh, quote, I mean a really extended quote from it. I'm going to preach it to you because he I, I, I need to preach it to you because it's, it preaches uh, really well. We'll stop, we'll stop along the way. But this quote can be found in, um, it's in your, it can be found on my website, which uh, is the next screen. So henry-williams.net or in, in the outlines, it, it tells you where you can go. And the Cosper quote as well. It's already, it's already posted. So this book, the reason it had a big impact on me is because it said, you know what? You're in the teen years, and we were right in the middle of it, and uh, a whole new set of challenges that were pretty much making us scratch our head a lot and go, uh, you know, everything has changed. And what he did in that book is he said, you, you, don't, you have no idea the opportunities that you have right now with a person, this burgeoning adult uh, in your home, the opportunities for them, the opportunities for you to influence them. And so uh, this, is, this is what he says in an introduction to, to this book, not in the book itself, but he says this. So step back for a moment from the daily pressures, interactions, and decisions of child rearing. This is speaking to parents here, but not all of this is going to speak to parents, all right? It's going to speak to all of us. 
Step back from the pressures of raising kids. God has chosen us to be a part of the most significant work on earth. The formation of a human soul. There's a lot at stake. We talked about it last week. It's not about just raising kids to be successful or even nice. It's about forming a human soul. That's what Jesus' followers are concerned with. He goes on. He has called us to prepare human beings for life in a broken and fallen world. We often talk here about bringing the story of God to life, and that has many meanings, okay? To bring it to our own life, to, to recognize how, how living the word of God is, but it also means to bring it to everyday life. And the everyday life that we bring the story of God, the scripture, the, the, the story that God has us in, this, the, 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 the world that we're bringing it in, into is a broken and fallen world. It's a broken and fallen world. And so God has called us to prepare kids to live in that broken and fallen world. We form human souls in a broken world. He goes on. He has commissioned us to teach young hearts how to think, desire, and choose. Teach them how to think, desire, and choose. Now, we're, we're so tempted as parents, even as, um, even as mentors sometimes, to protect uh, th- those that we're influencing, to protect them from their bad decisions completely. I mean, there's some things that require protection, but we, we don't want them to go through a hard time. Um, we're, uh, we're tempted to make decisions for them. No, this is what you do. This is what you do. This year. And all of a sudden, they leave, and they haven't really made very many decisions. Or at least, they've been making decisions when you're not around, but they haven't been taught how to make good decisions, how to even think about life and about what this world that we live in. Um, we're commissioned to teach them how to think, how to desire. And here's the thing, and he's going to get into this. We're learning that every day as well, how to think, right? I mean, we're on this journey as well. We're learning how to think and how to desire. And if you're a student, for example, you have a role in this as well, is just recognizing I still have something to learn, and hopefully your parents are coming from a position where they're saying, and I do too. We're on this journey together. We're all learning and you may be a little farther behind than me, but we're, we're going to learn from each other. And the reality is we're going to learn from our, from our teens as well, and we learn from our kids as well. It is it's a two-way street. God, there, he goes on. God has allowed us to be his voice as he unfolds the deepest mysteries of the universe to children who are still learning how to think. We, we get to, we, Sunday school teachers... We get to unfold the mysteries of God. God has chosen to use our voices to do that. He goes on, most importantly, he's called us to help rescue them, not just from the evil world, it's like the evil world out there, but from their own sinful and foolish hearts. How do we know that? Because we have sinful and foolish hearts as well. By leading them to Christ. There is no higher or more holy calling than this. And then he speaks specifically to parents of teens. So I'm just gonna read this part because, because some of you are parenting teens. 
Much of this work takes place in the teen years. As teens assume greater responsibilities, enjoy new relationships, and experience greater independence, their hearts are exposed. That's what happens when these clashes happen. A heart is exposed. This provides us with some of the deepest heartaches, but also some of the greatest opportunities of our parenting years. The question is, are we ready to make the most of the opportunities? The answer is, only as God enables us. As parents, most of us long for comfort and peace. We instinctively hate the tumult that teenagers bring into our lives. We don't like wondering what will come next as our lives careen from one crisis to another. Yet standing in the middle of this turmoil is Christ the Redeemer. He really is an ever-present help in trouble, as the scriptures say. He really is up to something good. In his love for our teens, he fights for their hearts by exposing their hearts to us so that he can use us to turn their hearts to him. Did you get that? It is in the very difficulties, the things that we find most difficult, that God is using that to give us a window into their hearts. And sometimes we don't like what we see just like we don't like what we see when we look at it in our own hearts. And yet there is the opportunity. He goes on, this is a drama of eternal significance, but it is easy to miss even when it's happening right in front of us. It takes place in the mundane little moments and the boring, familiar locations of our daily lives. Okay, it's about the journey. It all happens on the journey. That's why we need to open our eyes to what is happening around us. Life is not lived in the grand moments of existence. Most of us have only three or four big decisions in a lifetime. The fact is that most of the important things we do will take place in the midst of the utterly mundane. This is the place where God does his miraculous work of reclaiming and redirecting hearts. He is the sovereign Lord of, every, of the everyday and ordinary. His glory is waiting to be revealed in every moment. As we see this, we can share it with our teenagers. We have to be looking so that we can share it. And then here are these words of encouragement. This is what we're going to close with. We're not up to the job. How's that for encouragement? We simply don't have the love, patience, wisdom, and perseverance it requires. We are parents who still need parenting ourselves. We are wisdom givers who find ourselves in the grip of our own foolishness. We are sinners calling our teenagers away from sin. We are idolaters who want to help our teenagers smash their idols. We fall woefully short of the job description. Yet there is hope when we face our foolishness and inability. The hope is found in Christ because he is our wisdom. He is our strength. His grace reaches to the deepest level of our weakness. He died not only to give us eternal life, but also to give us everything we need to do what he calls us to do in the here and now. He does meet the demands of our job description, and we find our capability in him. Because of him, we can approach this awesome task with courage and hope. He is here in his power and glory, and he is for us. There is nothing that demonstrates how much he is for us, that he is a redeemer right in the midst of the brokenness than what we experience now as we begin our response in worship, as we begin 
remembering Christ's body. He came. He became a man, truly God and truly man. He went to the cross for our sins. He paid the debt for us. He was broken instead of us being broken for making a mess of this world, making a mess of our lives, hurting others. He was broken in our place. His blood was shed instead of our blood. And that's what we celebrate. We remember that. If you're new with us, uh, we have a time of response now. And, uh, and so, because that's part of the drama of redemption, is that we hear God's word and we respond. And so part of our response is going to be singing, but also during the first song, we invite you to come up front for communion if you're a follower of Jesus or in the back. Um, the front is, I think, I'll be corrected next time maybe, but I don't think the front is gluten-free, Okay. But we have people up here today, the back is, uh, we have people here today who are going to be holding the elements and preaching the gospel to you if you come to the front. Because we're forgetful creatures. Uh, you can also spend some time in prayer at the kneeling bench. We have people from our prayer team that will pray one-on-one -on -one with you back there. Uh, our light station is a prayer station where we pray for that light bulb, for the light of Christ in the life of someone who's far from God. So however you choose, and all the ways that you choose, respond to God and to what he's saying to you and what he's speaking in your life. Let's pray together.